You're listening to Welcome to Eloma, a podcast for highly ambitious dreamers who get shit done. I'm your host, Kylie Peters. This is a space where we talk about becoming a hype artist. So I met today's guest earlier this year and was immediately excited to dive into his book, The Hype Handbook. This book walks listeners and or readers, however you're digesting it, through 12 strategies to draw their attention, to draw more attention to their brand and bolster awareness, attention, and ultimately revenue. And I've as I've gone through it, I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. Oh, that's a good idea. And I like to listen to audiobooks and like I do verbal dictation into my notes. And I'm like, oh, I just have this like long, long list of ideas here. So I'm super excited to be chatting with Michael F. Shine, the founder and president of Microfame Media, which is a marketing agency that specializes in making idea-based companies famous in their fields. Sounds nice for a lot of us, right? So he has a fascinating story to share. I'm so excited to get into it. Welcome to Eloma, Michael. Thank you, Kylie. And I have to say that that compliment about taking dictation uh, around all the ideas that it sparked is one of the nicest compliments about my work I've gotten in a long time. I mean, that's a lot. As as kind as it is when I hear that people just like the book, knowing that it's sparking ideas is really what I'm in it for. So thank you. Oh. Well, I mean it. Like, I mean it. I like if you were to, if I were to pull up my book notes right now, and I, it would just be like scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. I actually had a long drive this past weekend, and I was like, I'm just gonna go through this hype handbook. Here we go. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, gotta pause here. Gotta pause here. I need to stop at a gas station and fix my typos. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, lots, lots of great ideas. Yeah. Um, so actually, Michael, as somebody, so. For anybody who's been listening or knows me, I've spent a lot of my career in the advertising and marketing space. And I love your unique approach to doing this work and this approach to quote unquote hype. So a lot of people think about hype as a negative thing, but you wrote a whole book on it and it's really, it's fabulous. So so talk to me a little bit about why you focus so much on hype versus a more traditional like marketing approach. Yeah, I think that I was well aware that the word hype had negative connotations. And being kind of a natural contrarian, that was certainly one of the reasons I chose it, but it wasn't the only reason. So first of all, I should say that I define hype as any set of activities that get a large number of people highly emotional so that they'll take the action that you want them to take. And that action can be a really nasty negative action. I mean, some hype artists are really nasty negative people. And it can be a positive action, but it's amoral, right? It's neither immoral nor nor moral because human beings do not see the world accurately. As much as we like to think we do, we see the world in a way that would help our ancestors survive and, and frankly reproduce, right? And we're very social animals. So you can either accept that and if you have great ideas or great products or great services or great art, use that as long as you don't deceive people, specifically if you aren't willing to deceive people to get them to try your stuff. Or you can say, well, I wish the world ought to be different. I wish the world were different. So I'm just going to ignore that. And then you're going to get yourself, um, you're, you're not going to be effective, right? So um, I guess the reason I chose the word hype was I, there's one community that that word is really used uh as a positive and that's hip hop right and 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 mm. i think it's interesting because 
hip hop is probably the dominant musical form today. I mean, even the pop music that's popular has hip hop beats, right? But it started in the poorest neighborhood of the United States, the poorest zip code. There's been all these 50 year retrospectives of hip hop recently, which is crazy that it's that old. But they're talking a lot about the South Bronx and how it started in a specific project in the South Bronx. So these were people who didn't have the sort of, to use a word that's used a lot today, the privilege to do things the straightforward way. You know, I'm going to go to marketing school and put my my portfolio together and or employ an advertising company with X budget they had to get very, very creative, right, about attracting attention. And that's why to this day, you'll hear people like Jay-Z say lyrics like, I'm not a businessman, I'm a businessman, right? There, there, there's this idea that the hype is part of the art itself, right? And, and, and I love mm. that because at its best, hype can really add color to your work. It doesn't have to be something that you just tack on at the end, which a lot of marketing and advertising is sort of just tacked on at the end. Yeah, no, I I agree with that. Um, I love that perspective of hype is part of the art itself. Uh, that's just taking me a second because I'm like, wow, yeah, no, you're right. But I need that to sink in a little bit. Like, I think it's a totally different perspective because you're absolutely right. So often we build the thing or we do the thing and we're like, oh, I should market this. But and to your point, like that's oftentimes added to the end. And and we all know as as good marketers, we should have been thinking about that all along. But to your point, hype is part of the art itself. Tell dive in a little bit further there. Talk talk to me more about that. Well, I'm gonna use examples from the art world because that's often the group of people who do this very well. Yeah. And then we can move that into the business world. But um you know, I, I guess the 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 you know, I didn't come from a uh, marketing advertising background originally, like you did. In fact, I wanted nothing to do with business. I wanted to write novels or play in bands, and you know, tried my hand at all of that. Mm -hmm. And the art, lowercase a art, I don't mean visual art, but it can mean that too. The art that I've always liked best wasn't just a bunch of people sitting around strumming their guitars or painting pictures or writing novels. It was stuff that kind of created a world. So if you look at Andy Warhol, is yeah. it really just that he painted a really beautiful can of soup? Like out of context, is that really that wonderful? No, it's that he was saying something about commercialism. It's that his entire persona with the wig and the, the strange questions and the factory and the way he manipulated the media, how that tied into painting consumer projects, products. You know, you look at David Bowie um, for fans of that music. If you go back to the Ziggy Stardust album, those are great songs. But is it really just the songs that make it wonderful? No, it's the fact that you didn't really know if he was androgynous or not. You didn't know if he was playing a role or not. You didn't know if he walked around with that red hair and white skin all the time or if he just did it in public, you know. And so I think that um, a lot of times what a lot of us do is we say to ourselves, okay, we've created a product and now we're going to come up with our marketing campaign. And, and at best, you know, we throw ourselves into that, but sometimes what you'll find mm -hmm. is that people almost resent having to do it. Right. It's like, I have this <laughs> wonderful service or this wonderful product and 
the cream should rise to the top, but we need marketing. So let's hire some firm to do an Instagram campaign. And it doesn't really matter what's in that Instagram campaign, as long as we're posting content four times a week, right? And you get yourself in a lot of trouble with that because it doesn't flow organically from the thing. And people can really sense that, right? And, and it leads you to make bad decisions. Like what kind of content? What happens when you're not posting content? Are you behaving in interviews the way you behave online? And mm-hmm. so I think not that gets companies in a lot of trouble. And, you know, but there are companies that, that do this really well. So I, I always use Basecamp as an example. Jason Fried um, writes a lot. Um, he, he, he has, you know, it's a customer relationship management tool, one of the most boring industries in the world. But he does such a good dro- job of generating excitement around the company. And he blogs a lot and posts a lot. And he wrote something recently where he said, a company should have a point of view, that he loves businesses Mm -hmm. with a point of view. And he has a point of view. He'll basically constantly talk about how businesses that overcomplicate things, businesses that, you know, glorify workaholism are are almost insulting to him. Why does he do that? Well, he believes it, but also Mm -hmm. his product, which is the simplest customer relationship management tool where if a client asks them to add a feature, he won't do it because it'll make it too complex, is all about making your life and your workflow easier and more efficient. And he embodies mm-hmm. that in every word he utters, every the logo of the company, the the fact that he gives Fridays off in the summer. And so I guess that's what hype means. It's not just having a marketing budget. It's Conducting experiments to figure out how you can embody, I guess, your values in a very public way, how you can tap into human psychology to get Mm -hmm. people excited about that, and then how you can embody that in everything you do. Well, it also kind of sounds a little bit to me like personal branding, which has become a a big thing, you know, and I know you talk about this in the book too, about, um, I think you had used the example of when you were in the band and you were like, well, I can't just show up in one way on stage and then like show up in my khakis, you know, when I go to the grocery store, because that feels inauthentic to whoever sees you in both places. And that got me starting to think, um, because like I'm, I'm in black V-neck t-shirts all day long, but those aren't the most exciting things to like photograph. And so I'm like, wow, I, I don't know that I'm showing up in all the right ways and like my photo shoots and stuff. And I just started thinking about, you know, it's it's very much, you know, in tandem, at least with personal branding of like, get clear on who you are and what you stand for and then freaking stand for it in all ways, right? Like through your business, in your personal relationships, in interviews, like be consistent. Yeah, personal branding can be a big part of it. And 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 um I don't think it's the only part of it, but I think it's no. a part of it. And and I, it's funny, everyone always uses this uh person as an example, but it's because he was so good at it. But Steve Jobs, the turtlenecks. Yep, the black turtlenecks I, I and the mean, glasses. But what what you know, he would give you this thing if you asked him why he wore that. Oh, you know, I don't have to figure out what I wear in the morning, blah, blah, blah. No way. It was because his products are all about combining form and design and doing it in a simple way. So what did he wear? He wore a black turtleneck that, by the way, he would always tell people were created by a certain designer. It wasn't just some random, you know, 
turtleneck from the gap. He had that turtleneck <laughs> specifically crafted for him and oh, the I jeans and whatever. So, and it was also hip at the time. Now everyone wears jeans, but in the eighties and nineties, I remember, I mean, I'm only 46 years old, which isn't really that old. And when we had, I had uniforms in my school, but when we had dress down days, we couldn't wear jeans because jeans were just a little too casual, right? Oh, wow. So by having a business person wear jeans in public meetings, that was, that showed how kind of artistic and hip their computers are. Now, if you go back to the early Steve Jobs appearances, he he experimented a lot to get there. A lot of the early yeah. 80s stuff had him in a suit and tie and a designer suit and tie because that's what successful business people did at the time. So it takes some yeah. experimentation. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. And I think the other thing that you um, touched on, I wrote down a couple of things. Um, you touched on behavior. And I think that's obviously a huge part of what we're talking about here. At the end of the day, we're all trying to get people to do something. Hopefully, right. as you mentioned, uh, it's a positive, good thing versus like a negative thing that hurts anybody. But this idea of behavior, and I know in your book, you also talk a lot, like you talk about cult leaders and all kinds of things. So talk to us a little bit more about the psychology behind creating hype to influence behavior. I think it's very funny when I talk to a certain breed of of marketing professional now and and even clients who approach us who marketing isn't their expertise which is why they're coming to us and they'll come with preconceived notions which is fair which is understandable mm-hmm. but they'll say things like it's really important for us to have a social campaign or we really need <laughs> to work um, I'm sorry I just I know exactly what you're talking about yeah we need to work AI into our strategy. Chat mm-hmm. GPT. What can we do with that? Yep. Whatever the latest thing is. We need a podcast, right? All of these things are wonderful tools. The way that a typewriter was better than a quill and and a word processor is probably better than a typewriter. But they're tools. And so when marketers say, hey, I'm the expert in podcast marketing or in Instagram marketing or in chat GPT marketing or in Google plus marketing or whatever the thing is that is the hot thing, you have to ask yourself, aren't we dealing with human beings and trying to drive behavior and dealing with human beings in groups? Mm-hmm. So if that's the case, what what I would suggest, whether you're a professional marketer or you're just thinking about your own business and, you know, how to promote your your own business and then how to ask the right questions to people that you might want to work with, you know, an, an agency or, or a, an expert is what are you trying to do? What are you, what result are you trying to get? Is the goal to have five articles posted a week? Probably not. So if you think about it, these tactics have been used forever because human being or strategies, I should say, have been used forever in one form or another because human beings don't change. Our technology changes, the speed of things change. But you know, the Aeneid, which is a classic work of world literature, was commissioned by the first emperor of Rome, um, Augustus, who was really illegitimate. You know, he he there had never been an emperor, a king of Rome since thousands of years before. And it kind of like us, they were against kings, like they had a republic, right? The worst thing you could call someone in Rome 
was a king and Augustus by force took control. So he got this poet to basically create an epic poem that showed him as the inevitable outcome of the founding of Rome. And, you know, it, it was just very skillfully done. It, it built this myth around him and it worked very well. Now, the problem was he only had they only had papyrus back then. So it was a very slow thing to distribute. But it would be better to say, how was it that Augustus and Virgil were able to get an entire empire to to follow them and then say, how do we take the technology that we have and accelerate that? Yeah. Then it is to start with the technology and say, how do we build really good posts on Instagram? And then mm -hmm. somehow that'll turn into behavior like sales. Yeah, start well, with how, the root. How so? You know, yeah. Start with the root instead of starting with the, the these kind of like rote tactics that we all. Yeah, know. it's it's kind of like uh, like if we were to start with like the branches of a tree and be like, well, how do we build the tree? And it's like 100 percent. Well, start by planting the seed. <laughs> So by planting yeah. the seed and see how it grows. And then we, and then we address, you know, the other circumstances, but we have to start with the root. It's a great analogy. And I, I think where it comes from, and it's very understandable, is a fear of missing out. I mean, if, if you're seeing mm -hmm. all of these articles telling you that AI or the metaverse or social media or whatever the latest thing is, if you don't have a strategy on that, you're going to fall behind, your competitors are going to eat you alive, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Then it's natural to freak out mm -hmm. and start hiring experts around those strategies. But if you take a deep breath and think to yourself, how many people are there who have a really sophisticated strategy where they use these tools as accelerators, but it's not the root, right? Like, look at the Barbie mm -hmm. movie. I mean, it was a good movie. Very good movie. Their marketing. An amazing. But the marketing wasn't based. Every mar every movie does social media now. Yeah. Every movie does, yep. you know, um, what do you call it? Um, like television commercials. What they did, they did a lot of things, right? But one of the things they did was to get an art director to do a commercial movie. Because then they knew that they would be creating something that had real meat on the bones. And then they could promote this as not just being another cartoon movie, right? Mm -hmm. And that's packaging. One of the strategies in my book is packaging is the essence of propaganda. They mm -hmm. packaged what could have been a cheesy toy movie and should have been a cheesy toy movie as an art film that yeah. happened to be about a toy everyone loves. You could have done that with newspapers. You could have, if that were the thing people read, but they don't. They look mm -hmm. at social media and they watch TV. So they use that. So that's what I'm saying. It's that's a fundamental human desire to want to be entertained and also think of yourself as smart at the same time. And whoever promoted this, whoever hyped this, understood that on a very fundamental yeah. level. And we often miss those human things when we're building these campaigns. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Michael, what I'm what I'm hearing you say is we need to bring it back to people. Like yeah. so much we there's so many layers. And and while we have in many ways it's a gift to have all the tools that we have now that you know we didn't have a decade ago, in some ways and in many ways, it 
is a hindrance because it clouds what we are actually, it clouds what we are looking to actually accomplish. And we forget like, what is, what are we actually trying to do here? We're trying to change behavior. We're trying to influence behavior. And so that's, again, I love, I love all of your ideas in this book because it's, uh, it's really a refreshing way to look at things. And, and I just want to add to that, that if you don't believe that, just look at the phenomena in the past that were just as big and just as crazy, if not more so than anything happening now. I mean, Beatlemania, there's nothing as big as that. You know, all due respect to Taylor Swift, there's nothing as big <laughs> as that in the age of social media. And you could say it was because the Beatles were geniuses. Sure, they had a great product. But read a biography of Brian Epstein, you know? I mean, the guy was a hype and promotional wizard. He he packaged them. You know, they were eating sandwiches on stage and cursing and smoking cigarettes and wearing leather jackets. He dressed them up in suits, you know, and had them bow at the end. That's a strategy I call give the babies their milk before you give them their meat. They were playing rock and roll. So he didn't tell them to change their sound. He said, we can ease in to the mainstream market by packaging them as safe entertainers, sneak through the back door because otherwise yeah. it would be too dangerous. So if you think you need social media, I shouldn't say it that way. Social media is a great tool, but if you think that the technology is the thing that comes first, look at these phenomena from the past that are arguably bigger than anything that's going on now. Mm -hmm. We're lucky to have the tools because it can happen quicker now. The Accelerator is exactly what you've been looking for. If you're either an executive woman ready to leave corporate and start your own thing, but don't know where or how to get started, or you're an existing woman small business owner and you're ready to level up your business, we've built a one-of-a-kind six-month training program with over a dozen industry experts that took me nearly a decade to assemble. And I am delivering this to you on a platter. I have lost hundreds of thousands of dollars and months of wasted time and energy over the last decade by not having these resources available to me. And I want to change the way women are running their businesses so they can make more money faster with less anxiety and fewer unreliable partners, which is why we've built the Accelerator. It's time to level up and make sure you're leveraging your business to support the life you want to be living personally, professionally, and financially. Learn more at rixrixaccelerator.com. My opinion is, well, yes, we can move faster. We can reach more now, which is great. But then it just, it snowballs, right? Like, and then it's like, well, what about what's faster? What's more? What's faster? Right. What's more? Right. And we keep going, we keep going. And and I, I bring it back, like we forget what we're actually trying to accomplish. And to your point, because everybody's on social media, everybody's trying to do all these things, all these things, right? Well, that's where everyone is. If you really want to stand out, where is everyone not? Like Let there me tell are you something. If so someone mailed something, opportunities. 100%. If someone mailed something to me that was outstanding, I'm not saying a piece of normal junk mail, but if I got some customized invitation to some sort of elite secret club and they knew everything about me that would appeal to me and it was sent to me an email, I'd probably delete it. But if it was if it arrived in a box in the mail, I would probably show up at whatever they wanted me to go to. 
because I don't get anything cool in the mail anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it kind of reminds me of like, um, you know, people talk about uh, fashion cycles. My, I remember growing up, my mom would be like, oh, you're wearing that. Well, that's right, what I used right. to wear. And now I'm getting to the point where I'm like, oh my God, those shoes are back. A hundred percent. I remember those. And I'm like, crap, I'm that old now that I remember like the, I know. But I think it's the same thing in terms of human behavior. Like, because we get so saturated in one yeah. place, because we move so far from where it was, there's actually some benefit to going back to you know, it's, it's cyclical in some ways, like that cycle might shift and move over time, but, but it's not, a. I don't think it's a linear path because that's just a saturated path. I don't think things are linear at all. I mean, I, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think history is cyclical. I think trends are cyclical. And I think you hit, I think what you're trying to say, and I don't want to put words in your mouth is that okay. when you, people are very adaptable. So when you, get buried in a certain stimulus over and over and over again, it becomes boring and cheesy and easy to ignore. Mm -hmm. But if you give it a little bit of space and a little bit of time, that same thing that used to be boring and cheesy seems vintage and cool and, you know, interesting and retro and whatever, put your adjective on there. It's that, mm -hmm. how do you make something fresh? Sometimes you go backwards to make something fresh, but this is all human nature. If, if we didn't, there might be some other alien who isn't who 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 wouldn't respond like that. But human beings are more alike than they are yeah. different. We 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 get excited by novelty. We get bored by repetition. No, we love repetition up to a point. Repetition is extremely useful until it's not, and there's a threshold, right? So mm -hmm. these are things that you can reverse engineer. These are things that you can figure out. We all like to think we're individuals, but we're, we're about half a percent individual. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> You know, in in my travels, et cetera, that's one of the things I think is so beautiful about human beings is at the end of the day, the majority of us, not everyone, not everyone. but the majority of us, we want the same things. We want to be happy in our lives. We want our families to be safe and healthy and happy. Absolutely. That's, people are people. Yeah. That's really it. Yeah. 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 Um, so Michael, as you went about this book, like I, as I, as I was listening to it, I'm like, wow, I wonder what this was like for him to actually research and write this. I'm just cu purely curious, like how long did it take you to do all this research? Where did this stem from? Um, and I know in the book you talk about like why you're writing it, but for anybody listening, where did that curiosity stem from and how did you get to this final product? It kind of like took me 10 years and six months in a way and six months yeah because <laughs> yeah, yeah. like 10 and a half or 11 no, years me, meaning years that it was like a 10-year process and three then days my, and two hours well you it was like a 10-year <laughs> process and then my when i finally sold the book my editor was like get the thing done in six months you know what i mean so so um, yep, like a hurry up and wait kind of thing yeah um but i guess i was researching the whole time by accident and then it became very much on purpose. So um, this is kind of a long story and I'll try to tell the short version. But um, as I said, I, I, I don't know why I was always interested in these kind of people. Um, you know, I, uh, as I mentioned, I played in bands and I played in one band that actually had a bit of a following uh, in New York in the uh, early 2000s. And um, we definitely were punk influenced. And when I say punk, I don't mean the style of music, although that was part of it, but the early punks were very much hype artists, right? Like the 
if you look at the Sex Pistols, I mean, they got the entire country, the, the entire UK. I mean, they were talking about in Parliament that this was a menace to society, and they had this manager, Malcolm McLaren, who was a hype mastermind, et cetera, et cetera. So I was always interested in that stuff. And um, we did a really good job with that with our band. I mean, we never got, you know, became rock stars. That's a pretty hard thing to do. And um, also we broke up before we could get there. I don't know if we ever would have, but, you know, band politics and that kind of thing. There you go. But, um, but we used to sell out Arlene's Grocery all the time. We had a residency there. That's a pretty famous place. Like the Strokes used to play there a lot and whatever. And um, I don't know how good we are, but we we're really good hype artists. So we talked our way onto Showtime at the Apollo, which is a show where, you know, we knew we would be booed off. That's why we talked our way onto it. And they always put an act on there that'll be booed off. We're this like weird art punk band and it's Showtime at the Apollo. And they boot us up. And then we used that to get on the cover of New York Press, which was a big underground magazine at the time. So we would do things like that all the time. And um, when that ended, I got a corporate job and, um, you know, learned how to become an adult, <laughs> I guess. But um, about eight years in, I was really tired of it. And I left and I became a copywriter and I was going to go on into business on my own because people have always thought I was a good writer. And um, the clients who hired me liked me, but I really, I almost went broke. I mean, I had a year's worth of savings and I was burning through it. And I was really, I had become too much of an adult. I was doing marketing. So I took a course on search engine optimization and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And and I was blogging four times a week about whatever, you know, it wasn't really strategic. I was just like, you know, the Google algorithm will find me if I blog all the time and, and nothing was working. And then, um. I just, I remember, I actually walked past the club that I used to play at. I was back in New York and I was like, why am I doing this? Like, I I, I need to become more of a hype artist because we never used the word marketing in the band. We always said we were hyping up a show. So mm -hmm. long story medium, um, I started using those strategies. My business started to grow. It turned into an agency. And then I said to myself, well, why am I studying marketers? I should study these kinds of people, you know, like it, it should I go for ideas to, you know, people were talking about Google plus at the time that you needed to know Google plus because <laughs> it was controlled by Google. Was, and I, I, such I a hot moment in time. A hot moment, and I studied it like crazy and this and that and wasted all this time on that. And then it bombed. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to start looking at the, the people who do it right. You know, the rock managers, the cult leaders and can I take their strategies and, you know, um, you know, distill, you know, not if someone distill is an evil principle. person, distill yeah. the principle out and do it ethically. And I did that. And so I would read all these biographies and mass psychology books. And I think I stole Ryan Holiday's method of research who took it from Robert Greene, where every time I would see good stuff, I'd write it on note cards. And I started separating these different strategies into like categories and over and mm. over. I started to notice that you would see the same things repeat over and over again, not the same specifics, but the same underlying principles. And it was mm -hmm. like 12, you know, you would see 12 sort of approaches repeat and repeat. And um, then I would do experiments with myself and my clients, and I would figure out which iterations of those really worked, right? So then the book idea happened. I mean, I was like, wow, I have these things. This is like 12 principles. I should I'm a writer. I should teach this to other people. Like, you know, I'm using it for my clients. I have all this research. So then I really, then the research really kicked in. I just immersed myself. I started interviewing people and, you know, reading and papers and all of this. And so then 
I did the book proposal and when the book proposal finally sold, then they were kind of like, um, and I had written articles about this stuff for years and they were like, basically like write this thing in six months. And I was terrified, but I was like, well, I basically have all of it laid of it, out yeah. in front of me. So it was crazy work, but I, I wouldn't have been able to do it if I hadn't spent those 10 years doing all of that research. So. Yeah. Well, and that's a good reminder. I, you know, a lot of people listening, I'm sure uh, we've got a lot of entrepreneurs, everybody and their mom wants to write a book and it's just, uh, I've heard of people be like, yeah, I'm just going to write this in six months. And it's like, do you have anything that you're writing about? I like, know. like, what are you writing about? What, where, where have you gotten this information from? You know, so just a reminder to all of us that, you know, fame, famous, you always hear like famous people don't become famous over that. People are always like, oh, they're this overnight success. It's like, no, it was like 10 years in the making. And then they got a the right gig, right? Or whatever it was. As someone who started as a writer, not as a business person and became a business person, it mildly offends me the way people talk about writing books, because we all know that having a book is the way that you get the high profile speaking gigs, which often leads to business. But the idea that you can just write all of the stuff that floats through your head on a daily basis and emerge with something called leadership principles of the 21st century. <laughs> and that that's going to be something that is worth putting out into the world as somebody who I think writing is a craft. I started yeah. my business started as a writing business. I don't think people mean harm, but it's almost offensive. You know what I mean? <laughs> like like yeah. you can just slap something yeah. together. I think you need something new to put out into the world. We all want the results of writing an this idea. book. Like an a idea, idea and a new idea, a book that doesn't exist already. Yeah. Because, and then a lot of times people can't find a publisher. They don't understand why. So they self-publish it, but that doesn't really work anymore because everyone knows that trick. Yeah. So they'll, they'll self-publish and they'll wonder why this book didn't get them the results they wanted. It's because People know what you're doing. I mean, they yeah. know how good these self-published books work. So it's it's important to have a thing. Yeah. And and it takes time to build that thing. Like I yeah. I remember a couple of years ago, I was speaking to somebody and they were like 25. They're like, yeah, I'm going to write a book. And I'm like, on what? Like, with all due respect, what life have you lived? Like, what do you know? <laughs> like, what do you, what do you have to say? Like, you know, okay. And, and they decided that it wasn't the right time, but it's just, it's this idea that everybody gets excited about. And they're like, yeah, I want to write a book. So I'm going to write a book. It's like, wait until you have something to say. Right. Unless you're 25 and you're like, I've come up with this really interesting idea and studied this really interesting thing. Yeah. And I have an angle and a viewpoint. Okay. But not, it should be, I have a book that I want to write, not I want to I'm gonna write, write a, a book. book. You know, yeah. it's a subtle yeah. distinction, but. But it's an important one. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, Michael, as we as we are wrapping up the conversation here on hype and we're talking to a lot of entrepreneurs, what is a one thing or what is the you know big idea that you really want entrepreneurs to take away in terms of the importance of leveraging hype to build their brands? I think it's a one two punch that you need to keep in mind. OK. They're throwing spaghetti against the wall is not enough. So just writing random blog posts or random tweets or X's or whatever they're called now, or, you know, just throwing a bunch of stuff out there is not enough because you could be throwing spaghetti against a wall 
made of stainless steel where it's never going to stick. At the same token, the idea that you can just, that there's a recipe that you can do A plus B plus C and get D is also a fallacy. So if, if you're approached by experts who say you need to create three blog posts with two sales funnels with a ticking clock that will lead to seven leads, that is also ridiculous because by the time someone has given you that recipe, it's kind of like we talked about before, people get it, it's too late, you know? Yeah, been done. So I think the way to get around this dilemma or this challenging situation is understand the psychological principles. So know that human beings will react to certain psychological stimuli, especially in groups, better than other stimuli and understand that. And at the same time, within that umbrella, conduct experiments. So instead of just saying, I'm going to do four blog posts, say to yourself, okay, I understand that human beings are more attracted to being against than to being for. So what I mean by that is that um, human beings get much more fired up when they see, when they're able to be told why something isn't good and they're able to build a tribe around why something is wrong. And that's just true. Mm -hmm. So Instead of just doing any old blog post and say, okay, let me, but you don't know if a blog post will work, do experiments within that. Do tweets that are about drawing lines in the sand, do blog posts, and then stand on a street corner with a sign in front of an office building where your clients are at and pick a fight and then see which one works. So it's a function of you're never going to know exactly what the recipe is. You're always going to have to conduct experiments, but if you have a firm understanding of the way that humans behave in groups and the way human minds work, you can conduct experiments quickly and strategically in a way that you won't waste time on stuff that will never work. Yeah. So go back to people. Go back to the psychology of human beings. And but also be willing to experiment, you know, and experiment. It, yeah, it, it, the, these cookie cutter recipes won't work either. And I know that's very nuanced, but it's like everything else. You're kind of walking a middle road, right? You're you're mm -hmm. you're not being too rigid and you're not being too chaotic. You're understanding the fundamental principles, but you're also willing to have some wiggle room within those fundamental principles. Yeah. And, and be willing to take risks to yeah. experiment. Yeah, that's a big one, too. The risks are important. And at the same time, the risks that you take, what's great about experimenting and what's great about being guided by principles is that that allows you to take small, make small experiments where you can avoid falling in your face in front of the world. So if you understand that humans, I call it make war, not love. If you understand, mm -hmm. for example, that humans are more attracted to firm points of view and drawing lines in the sand, then you can do one article or one talk or one whatever and and get enough data to decide if you should go bigger or if you should cut that experiment then if you're just randomly blitzing the world then in order to get any traction at all you have to go so big that that's what you're going to become known for so by understanding the principles you can afford to take risks because you can take small risks on a small mm -hmm stage where you're doing it at first to get data, not to set the world on fire. And then you can blow up the winners. Yep. Get data and then set the world on fire. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, Michael, uh, 
I've got one more question for you here. This is my last big question. And I ask this of all my guests. What is your greatest insight or discovery about life and entrepreneurship? I really think that finding side doors is the thing that has really been my biggest insight. I mean, there was a time when I was young where if you would have told me that I would have ended up in in what is essentially marketing, I would have said, absolutely not. You know, I'm going to be playing in a band or only writing novels, right? And the problem with that is, what if you're only, what if you say to yourself, I'm only happy if I'm a poet, I'm only happy if I'm an experimental pottery artist, right? I'm only happy if I'm in cryptocurrency, then you have a really narrow path to happiness. Mm -hmm. But if instead you say something to yourself, like I heard Neil Gaiman say this, Neil Gaiman said, I have a mountaintop in my mind. And on the top of that mountain is I want to tell stories for a living. Mm -hmm. He didn't say novels. He didn't say comic books. He said stories. And anything that gets me closer to that mountaintop, I'll say yes to. And anything that gets me farther, I say no to. So I just found that finding side doors is really important. So the book I wrote, The Hype Handbook, yeah, it's a business book, but it was kind of a way to sneak in all of my interests and ideas. I'm really proud of that book as a book, not just as a, as a writer, you know? So it was by not being hyper fixated on the straight path, banging on the door, writing, 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 novels, 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 band, 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 that I eventually, you know, I started a business, I zigzagged here, but it was always about creativity. It was always about my interests. It was always about writing. And ultimately, curiosity. Yeah, curiosity. And I ended up with my dream. You know, I, I wrote a book that I'm very proud of. So you know, I hear a lot of people, you know, celebrities saying the secret to my success is that I didn't have a plan B. And what I heard Buster Rhymes say it when he was really big. I remember him saying that, they, they, you know, but a lot of people follow that advice and they're like, well, I'm going to just keep rapping, uh, you know, uh, uh, and, and trying to get discovered. I'm going to go on the subway and rap really loud so that someone discovers me because nothing but being a rapper is acceptable to me being, you know, a famous rapper, because I don't have a plan B. But the problem is there's a survivorship bias. You're hearing it from Busta Rhymes, who was famous. Mm -hmm. How many thousands, if not millions of people, rock star, you know, musicians, rappers, writers, entrepreneurs, you know, cryptocurrency traders have no plan B. And they're just going to fail because they only have one path to success. So if you can be open to getting to your dreams through side doors instead of banging your fist on the front door, I think that's really useful. And it's it's made for kind of a fulfilling life in my case. I love it. I love it. The side doors, explore the side doors. Um, well, Michael, thank you so much for your time. For anybody listening who wants to get in touch with you, what are the best ways for them to reach out? Well, I'm going to tell you all the ways, but I'll start with the fact that in traditional marketing, they always say that you should have one call to action. So I'm going to give you one call <laughs> to action, and that's go uh, on Amazon or wherever you get books and type in the Hype Hand book, because um, if you do buy my book, my, my the name of my company is in there. You'll be able to find me all over the place online, but all my ideas are in that book. So if you 
spend whatever it is, it, the price goes up and down on Amazon, 20 some odd dollars, and you learn everything and then never get in touch with me, my work has been done. But if you decide you want more, um, you know, and you and you want to, you know, um, contact me after that, that's wonderful. But yeah, I mean, my company is microfamemedia.com. I'm michaelfshine.com, S-C-H-E-I-N. And you can find out about me and all those places. And I'm assuming they'll be in the show notes because it's hard to remember that when you're driving in the car. Yes, but, yes, they will. Yeah. Yes, they will. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much, Michael. Uh, for anybody listening, if you've enjoyed this episode as much as I have, please go ahead and leave us a review wherever you're listening. And Michael, thank you so much for your words of wisdom. Thank you, Kylie. This was a uniquely awesome conversation. Agreed. Very fun. Thank you. If you're interested in asking me questions about running your business, but you're working on a budget and only need a teeny tiny bit of handholding right now, check out the CEO hotline. This is an online community that I'll be managing on a weekly basis, answering questions about running your business. And then we'll have a monthly live Q&A where I'll answer whatever questions you have in real time. Learn more at rixceohotline.com. To continue learning how to better build your business and make your vision a reality, subscribe to the Welcome to Eloma email list at welcometoeloma.com.